Well, I promise you it's utterly coincidental that the um, Old Testament lesson assigned for today is a farewell speech. Uh, I did not pick it, but I, I can see. I trust that uh, you all have uh, received the news that I have announced my farewell as rector of St. George's Church. Uh, it's been a very hard week for me, um, beginning the process of saying goodbyes and um, been a very strange year. If you had told me back in January, February, or even March um, that I'd be standing here in early November with this news, I would have thought you were, you were absolutely crazy. Um, as I shared in my communication with you on Friday, I'm immensely sad about all this, and yet at the same time, I'm, I am confident that for, for me, for Susie. This is a matter of obedience. And just to share a, a few quick thoughts about all this, um, I think for most everybody, the year 2020 has been a, a season where we've wondered if the ground under our feet was really stable. And, and I have felt that and, uh, in all kinds of ways. And I've really wanted to pray through carefully that um, accepting a call to new ministry in a new city is, is not some response to feelings of instability um, a lack of clarity about where I stand because quite frankly this church has never been stronger and, and I've never loved it any more than I do but I've been here 16 years uh, early this coming winter it'll be the 16th anniversary and um, I'm not sure it's good y'all called me when I was a pretty young man I was 40 and um, you can do the math I, um, I'm not sure it'd be a good idea for you all for this church to, as much as I would love to just live right here at St. George's in Nashville to continue on until I might retire, who knows, late 60s, 70, maybe a 30-year tenure. And I don't know in this day and age that St. George's doesn't deserve um, new and um, different kinds of leadership uh, continuing on our faith traditions here at St. George's Church. And I also believe that the parish right now is in a kind of season of transition, and I've been quite strong about this throughout the year. We are coming to the conclusion of a massive expansion and improvement of our facilities. Uh, we have some great, great new senior staff leadership that has recently joined us. And we are still living with COVID. I think that we have passed through the initial crisis response quite well. And we're now living with the ongoing response. And that will continue. That will continue into 2021 for sure. Uh, but at some point, some point that will recede into our rearview mirror and a new, a new season will open up and it'll be a good time for this church. I'm, I'm really confident of that. So um, I'm gonna spend a lot of time over the next five weeks as I have over just the last 48 hours trying to communicate to you how much I'm grateful uh, for everything that this place and each one of you has meant to me. And I'm afraid that I'll never be able to thank you enough. I always uh, tell the associate clergy with whom I've had the privilege of working through the years uh, that when they get called away to, to new ministries, to new leadership positions in the life of the church, to take care with your goodbyes. Goodbyes are ministry. It is a ministry and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to make the effort, to take the initiative, to say how much others mean to us, to say, I love you. Even to risk 
shedding tears. I've cried more in the last week than I have the last 10 years, I think, already. Um, but it is ministry, and it's, um, it offers up an important opportunity uh, for God to kind of break into spaces that wouldn't otherwise be there. But sometimes people shrink from it. Sometimes I probably shrink from it. Uh, let's not do that. Um, as a general rule, uh, even at the end of life, I've seen people just kind of want to slip away and not say their goodbyes. It is ministry. It is important. And I at least want to try to do that well. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. So begins our Old Testament lesson assigned for today, wherein Joshua gives his final speech to the people, a last exhortation, parting goodbye. And the text we hear today comes from the very end of the book. It bears Joshua's name. It's the very last thing that Joshua does before he dies, before he passes on. So the question I think before us is what can we learn from it? How can it be helpful? This old story from way back in the Old Testament, how can it be helpful for us to learn something afresh about the gospel given our context? Of course, it is essential to remember who Joshua actually was. He is the successor to Moses. Moses called by God to represent God to Pharaoh when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt to be the leader of the people of Israel, to lead them out through the Exodus event, through their 40 years of wilderness wanderings, right up to the edge of the promised land where Moses dies. Moses is this gigantic prophetic figure, of course, and he is succeeded by um, Joshua, who's a little bit more of a military leader, and he is the one who will lead the Israelites across the Jordan into the promised land, the land that they are to settle there. And I know that the book of Joshua um, challenges a lot of modern sensibilities uh, in some ways because there's violence in it, reflecting sort of the, the reality of the time and the perennial um, consistent feature of human history, different people groups going to war over particular pieces of real estate. But even more than that, the book of Joshua is offering a consistent feature of this part of human history. And the question it addresses over and over again is what or whom do we worship? The constant caution in the book of Joshua is the tendency to absorb into our lives the gods of the surrounding culture. And the God of Israel demands total allegiance, our ultimate love. There are no other gods than me. That is the first commandment. So we're told Joshua, again, before his death, gathers all the people, gathers the elders um, to offer his farewell at a place called Shechem. Shechem. Why Shechem? Why is this important? Shechem is the place, we're meant to remember this, where Abraham, after he had called out, I mean, God had called Abraham and Sarah out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and brought them to this land that they'd never known about, never visited, when they finally arrived at this place called Shechem in the land of Canaan, way back in Genesis 12, this was where God said, look, look around you. This is the land that I have promised you. And so what Joshua is doing here, many, many generations later, is in this same place of Shechem, reminding them of God's 
faithfulness. And he recounts the story, their story as the people of God, from the call of Abraham, through the patriarchs, through their experience in Egypt, out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, even to this very day there at Shechem. And this is taken out of the lectionary for some reason. We always criticize the editors who put that together. But it's an important line. Joshua says to them, you lived in the wilderness a long time. You lived in the wilderness a long time. And so I think lesson number one for us today is this. God is faithful to his promises even when the road is long and winding and maybe even unwanted and challenging. Transitions in church leadership um, often can feel like a wilderness time. Um, one of the things about which I'm most proud here, extremely proud, is the health, the strength of the emotional system here. And now you're going to go into a transition, and that could be disrupted. So often the temptation arises from wanting to hasten through the transition too quickly. And here's some common sense wisdom for the life of the church. The best way to ensure that you're likely to endure a long wilderness experience is to try to avoid it altogether or get out of it too quickly. Instead, accept it and live in it and ask the question, while we're in this in-between time, what is God doing? The theme of waiting, of um, uh, having to wait impatiently is a, is, a, is a theme in many places in Scripture. I think about the Israelites in their Babylonian exile for 70 years. They wanted to go back. Think about those lost years of Jesus that are not recorded anywhere between his adolescence and the beginning of his adult ministry. What was going on in that long interim phase before he launched in and a new day was launched for the whole world? Think about the disciples after the resurrection, doing 50 days, which to them at that point seemed like forever before the Holy Spirit came upon them. So in the coming months, I trust that you will trust God. An interim phase is not a protracted time of wasting time or simply sitting while engines idle. It is a time to remember and to trust and to pay attention to how the Lord has been good to you in your past, is fortifying you now for a new future, a new day, a new land, if you will, lying there before you. So it's a time to reflect and give thanks the ways God has been faithful to his promises. I think a, a second helpful lesson from today's story is this, the exhortation to recommit your lives, recommit your lives to God in faith. Again, this is not just a farewell discourse, a goodbye speech. Joshua is calling Israel to covenant renewal. And as I've taught and preached many times here through these years, whenever you hear the word covenant, think first and foremost of relationship more than religious rules and regulations. The covenant is about God's taking the initiative to enter into relationship with particular people Abraham and his family, Israel, the church, you and me for the sake of the whole world. God's commitment to that relationship to you and to me is unwavering. It is eternal. It is total. 
but it demands a response. It is not simply something we passively receive and do nothing with it. And that is the issue that Joshua is addressing, and it's one that plagued Israel throughout its history. It is this, one of partial covenant loyalty. Loving God, yes, but loving all the other gods we want to choose to love along with him. Picking up the religious loyalties of the pagan culture around them. This is what has happened to the Israelites as they settled in among other Canaanite tribes and religions. We worship Yahweh, they would say. But guess what? They also began to worship pagan gods of the weather, uh, for fertility, for the crops, you name it. And so the most famous passage in this text that we heard, the one that we, uh, you know, our ears perk up, oh, I remember that, is when Joshua says to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. Again, I said he's a kind of a military leader, and it reminds me in some ways of um, that famous speech um, in the catalog of famous American speeches that General Douglas MacArthur gave uh, at West Point um, uh, in 1962, his alma mater, shortly before his death. And the substance of that famous speech was that despite the myriad changes in American history, and we're living through them again today, the mission at West Point, the mission for a cadet there was constant. Fidelity to duty, honor, and country. You remember this. Today marks my final roll call with you, but I want you to know that when I cross the river, my last conscious thoughts will be of the core and the core and the core. I bid you farewell. Maybe we hear Joshua saying, today marks my final roll call with you, and before I cross the river, I want you to know that my final conscious thought will be of the covenant, the covenant, and the covenant. Perhaps, but that's not exactly what Joshua says. What he says actually is more interesting and more insightful. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether it is the gods of your ancestors when they were still pagans, or the gods of the Amorites who remain so and who are in the land that you're living in now. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's a remarkable insight into the human condition. Joshua is asking the people to acknowledge this universal reality. We are born as religious animals. We will worship whether we admit it, confess it or not. We will have our gods. So just have the courage and the self-awareness to name them. Just name the gods that you want to serve. Joshua does not say choose Yahweh because he is the one and only God. That would have been true, but it's not what he says. He says, Choose to confess the God that you really are worshiping. It's an interesting study that I read about more, it's 15 years ago, but it's more true today than ever. And it was a study by some social scientists of um, how um, deeply and fervently people hold their various uh, social, political, moral, and religious viewpoints. Just sort of a, a survey of intensity of belief. And what was fascinating to me, but in retrospect, not at all surprising, is that those who most uh, passionately identify, self-identify as secular, held their views with the exact same intensity as Christian fundamentalists. They're just simply two sides of the same 
coin. There is religious commitment to their secular views. For me, this is a, this is a perennial question also. Am I willing to pay attention more to what it is to serve God, to serve Christ and Him, um, even more than I want to love my ministry here with all of its blessed challenges and, and comforts and the familiarity, how much I love living in Nashville? Um, is that even more important than simple faithful obedience to a God who will call me where God wills? Choose whom you will serve, I feel the Lord would say to me and to you. It's going to be your own agendas now, um, your particular desires for the parish, or genuine seeking after a deepening relationship with Christ that could open up through this maybe surprising to some, maybe unwanted to some, maybe much wanted by others, news of a transition, an opening in the senior leadership role. Will you be obedient to the gospel even more than you care about certain things here in the life of the church? Can you trust God in that would be a question you can ask yourself. And the answer is, of course you can. And that is why Joshua leads the people in what amounts to an analogous ritual that we are going to reenact in just a moment, a covenant renewal service covenant renewal service. He renews the covenant with the people on this day. He puts a large stone there under an oak tree, a visible sign for them that day and for all future generations, similar to this visible sign um, before which we worship, a large altar. A visible sign that amid the changes and chances and the wanderings and sometimes the prolonged unwanted chapters of life we may not forget to whom we really belong. The source of our lives is also the destiny for our lives. And never more than in the midst of change and uncertainty, and I'm talking about generally, not just at St. George's, but with everything going on in the world, do we need to remember this ultimate gift of God's covenant initiative, the grace of God, the ultimate expression is through Jesus Christ offered on the cross. Again, this ever-present visible sign, like that stone under the oak tree, reminding us of how God gave all to us and it demands of us all of our allegiance. So I am just hearing the call as I have been wrestling with this through the, through the fall into some decision that I did not anticipate making, but in retrospect, now that it's made, seems exactly right. Choose this day whom you will serve. That is the question. This will, you're, you're wrestling through that question will be the most important activity that God has given you into the weeks and months to come for the journey that lies beyond it into a new expression of a promised land. So I return to where I started. In my leave taking over the coming month, I will want you to hear very, very clearly um, how much I have loved serving you and serving with you. But the very best thing I can help you do 
is to hear again how much love there is in Christ serving you. Whoever it is that stands here in the future, choose Christ. Christ.